Man, because the truth is we all want love, right? Like we all long to be loved. We all love love. And we're probably, for the most of us, kind of do anything to get love. We might even do destructive things to be loved. We all want to be the person who's able to even give love to someone else, right? We want to be able to, to love people well. We crave love. We, we love like watching stories about love. We love hearing songs about love. But if you've had any experience with love, which I hope you've had, you've probably already found out that love can hurt. That love, some of the biggest pain in your life is because of love, right? Love being neglected, love being rejected, love being denied. Like some of the deepest scars from our past come because of this thing called love. So we don't have to be alive very long to learn that love is complicated and it's messy. And when it's going good, man, love gives so much to your life. But when it's going bad, it really is bad because we all need it. Look at someone and say, you need some love. All of us need love. In fact, it's been proven over and over and over again. Just one study I want to show you is a psychiatrist by the name of Cole Minninger. And he did this study. He was trying to find out, like, what is some of the cause of the illnesses in his clinic? And so this is what he did. He told the staff for six months they were only allowed to what he called show generous amounts of creative love. So for six months, that's what they did. They showed generous amounts of creative love. They weren't allowed to give anyone attitude or be mean to anyone. They had to just go overboard in creative love, find generous ways to love their patients. And what they found is that after just six months, the amount of time patients spent in their clinic was cut in half. Just by love. Guys, love is not just good for our soul. It's not just good for our mind. It's physically good for us. Like it's good for our bodies. Even our bodies respond to love. But how do we love well? Because I don't know if our generation always understands love. In fact, I'm pretty sure we don't. Something I say at many weddings that I do is that I don't think our, genera our generation has really understood what love is because we use this word love for everything. Right? We're like, oh, I love your scarf. And I love your shoes. Oh, and I love your hair, right? And I love that restaurant, and I love God, and I love my dog, and I love wine gums, and I love Biltong, and I love that movie I saw last weekend, and I love Todd, and I love my kids, and I love my wife, and I love the color teal. Right, and then so like when someone says to us, oh, they love us, we're like, do you love me like you love wine gums? Like, what's the strength of that love? Like, what is it love? Like, how strong? Like, what does that even mean? Because we kind of use this word on everything we even just kind of like. Or maybe just a little bit more than like. Then I love it. And so we have a generation confused by what love really is. But I love that God didn't leave us in the dark. Scripture gets very clear on what love is and how we should express love. Because part of the reason we don't know how to express it is because we, we don't know what it is. So... It gets really confusing, like, how do I show love? This thing I don't even know, like, how do I show it? Does loving people mean 
like we just accept everything and we like tolerate everything and we never call people out. Like, is that what is that what God's intention is? And so in this series, we really want to figure it out. Part of the reason I really felt led to do this is because our vision for 2023 is to love our neighbor. And we're halfway there, guys. Can you believe we're halfway through 2023? It is the first Sunday of July, if you didn't realize. We're halfway there. This is a halfway mark. This series is going to kind of serve as a reminder. I want to ask you in the last six months, are you loving better? Have you increased in your capacity to love your neighbor? In the last six months, do you find yourself more loving than you were before we started the year? How's it going with your love life? And I'm not talking about that romantic person. I'm talking about just your ability to love Love. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at how Jesus loved. Because there's really no one who loved better, right? There's just no one who expressed love better than Jesus. Jesus really came and showed us godly love in human form. And he loved just such a cross-section of, of people. Like you see him just loving these people, whether they were like sinners or righteous. He loved like the prostitute and the text collector and the Pharisee. He just like was able to love the leper and the healed and the sick and the dead like Jesus. Just he, he was able to exude this. And so can we learn some lessons from the way Jesus loved and can we emulate and copy and duplicate the way Jesus loved? That's really the intention of this entire series. So we're going to be looking at all the different people groups, all the different types of people that Jesus loved in this series. And we're going to be saying, can we do that? Can you and I love like Jesus? Again, look at someone and say, love like Jesus loved. That's really going to be the challenge for us to increase our capacity to love, but first to understand just how to do this, what love is and what love requires. And so today I kind of want to set the foundation for this series. And I want to look at some of the practical ways that Jesus loved. And the first point is this, Jesus loved all people. Everyone say, all people. Jesus loved everyone. There is no one Jesus met that he didn't love. There is not a single person he interacted with that he didn't love. It turns out in John 3.16 when it says, for God so loved the world, that, that was true. God truly loved the world and all the people in the world, he loved everyone. One of the examples I want to pull out is from Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is interacting with this young man that we've come to call the rich young ruler. And let's read it together, Mark chapter 10. It says this from verse 17. As Jesus was starting out his way to Jerusalem, a young man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Everyone say genuine love. And Jesus said, there's still one thing you haven't done. 
Go and sell all of your possessions. Give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the young man's face fell and he went away sad. For he had many possessions. Here Jesus was talking to a man who on the outside, he looked pretty waxed. He looked pretty pretty good, pretty put together, pretty righteous. But Jesus knew that inside there was a lot of corruption. This young man was flawed. First of all, he had self-righteousness. Right, he, he was lost in religion. He thought he had reached perfection. Meanwhile, his heart was so far from God. So here's a guy really flawed. We're going to see that he actually has a problem with materialism. He has a problem with greed. He loves those things far more than God to the point that he's not actually even willing to follow Jesus because he's going to have to leave his money and possessions. So here Jesus has, he knows this guy is not going to follow him. Jesus knows this guy's flawed. His heart is far from me. Jesus knows this guy loves money more than he loves me. And in, in a moment, he's going to turn away from me. And yet, with all of that knowledge, it tells us that when Jesus looked at him, he had genuine love for him. Genuine love. It turns out, guys, God doesn't love you based on performance. In fact, those words, genuine love, in the original language, it's a Greek word for love, a word I know you know well. You're probably thinking of that word already. What's a Greek word for love? And then count of three, one, two, three, agape. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. You're very good. Agape love. What is agape love? It's godly love. It means a decision, not a feeling to love, a decision to love, right? A decision to love without conditions. It's a decision of the will. It's a choice someone makes. It's not in response to good behavior. It's not in response to performance. It's not someone saying, wow, you're doing so many good things to me. I'm going to love you. You're so good to me. I'm going to love you. You're doing everything right. I'm going to love you. No, no, no. That's human love. Like we know our love, it's pretty flawed and pretty corrupt and pretty flimsy, even at the best of times, pretty unreliable, but not godly love, not a god love, not this genuine love. The genuine love that God has for us is a decision to love us, independent of our performance. God does not love you based on your good behavior. He loves you based on his good nature. God does not love you based on your performance. He loves you based on his character. God does not love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. He has made an unconditional decision, a choice to love you and never stop loving you. Jesus loves you. He loves all people, not based on performance. His love is unconditional. Jesus loves all the people. And 1 John 4 verse 16 tells us about the, the nature of God. It says, God is love. And then listen to this. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. It is a sign. It's a quality of a Christian to be in love. Because that means you're in God and God is in you. Now. A disclaimer on that verse, because that verse can be used really out of context. It tells us God is love. Is that true? Yes, but if you read through Scripture, God is he's not only love. Like it also tells us that God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous. Like God is many things. One of his 
indisputable qualities, yes, the things that won't change, his love, but don't reduce God to only being one thing. He is love, yes, and out of that love, he loves us. It's part of his nature, it's part of who God is, but it's not the only thing that God is. Okay, first point, God loves all people. Second point, God loves all people uniquely. Look at someone and say, God, Jesus loves me uniquely. He loves all of us uniquely. His approach to you, one of the things as you're reading through the Gospels, guys, especially if you're going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? The, the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ, just read it from this perspective and you'll start to realize something beautiful. Jesus doesn't just treat everyone the same. He doesn't have a cookie cutter response like a lot of us in religion do. Right, where he just like says exactly the same thing, like the same spiel. He walks in the room and tries the same religious tricks. He, Jesus is not like that at all. He does not treat, he does, he does not have like one approach or one thing that he says every single time he finds someone. No, he, he loves people where they're at. He loves them uniquely and he loves them individually. Every message he has for the people, it's tailor-made to meet them where they're at. And you look at the ministry of Jesus, and you just see this over and over again. Just right now, we're, we've been reading from Mark chapter 10, but early on in that same chapter, what do we see? We see Jesus lovingly taking these children, and very gently he puts them on his lap, and he says, ah, let these little children come to me, so gentle, so tender. And then you turn the page, and we find Jesus in the temple with the whip, now he's turning over tables. He's chasing people out, right? He's chasing them with the whip. You look at how he treats a woman who was caught in adultery. And he says, lady, where's your accusers now? They're gone, go and sin no more. You look at how he treated leper by the gate who was ostracized by society. No one was allowed, allowed to go near him. No one was allowed to touch him. Jesus goes and he touches him and he gets to him and he heals him. And then he turns around and he looks at the Pharisees, Right? And he's like, you whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. You empty, you corrupt, you far from God. He, he, he lovingly calls some people by names, right? He's like, oh, Mary in the garden, right? Oh, at his resurrection, Peter, you're, I want to build the church, like just loving affection. And then in other places, he calls people by names. He's like, you brutal vipers, you hypocrites. Right, he pitches up at the funeral with the girl who died in Capernaum, that young girl, and everyone's weeping. And he's like, stop your weeping. Then he goes to the funeral of Mary Martha's brother, Lazarus. What does he do? He weeps with them. I didn't have a cooker cutter response. He loves people uniquely. When he's spending time with the disciples, he's teaching them and talking, spending hours and hours just training them and pushing, like, like giving them information on what this new kingdom is like. And then he's in front of Pontius Pilate and he's silent. He doesn't have a cookie cutter response to every person like a lot of us in Christianity to do. Like Jesus loves people individually and uniquely. And he doesn't just love all people. He knows, and this is an advantage of Jesus. He knows their thoughts. He knows their intentions of their hearts. He knows what's going on inside. And he knows how to love people in the moment. The beautiful thing is Jesus loves you uniquely. He's not coming to you with a cookie-cutter response. He knows where you're at. He knows what you need. 
He knows how to minister right into your circumstance. Every expression that he has is tailor-made. I mean, we even do this, right? Without, with the loving relationships we have, like think of our kids. One day you might be buying them a gift because it's their birthday or Christmas or something or just some remorse, right? Because you want to buy them a gift. Another day you might be giving them a spank, right? You're not a cookie-cutter response. It's you loving them where they're at and according to what they're doing. This is how we love. You might one day say to your spouse, I love you. And you write them poems and send them songs. And the next day you might be shouting at them, right? And just trying to resolve conflict. Right? Why? Because this is how relationships work. Jesus has that same relationship with us. He knows when to encourage, when to love, when to reprimand, when to correct. He knows when to leave things and when to address things in our lives. First thing, Jesus loves all people. Second thing, he loves them all, each uniquely and individually. Third point, are you ready? Look at someone and say, put in your big boy pants. Okay. Okay. Some of you ladies were like, I'm not wearing big boy pants. Like, <laughs> Jesus loves people through us. You know, Jesus came and he lived and he ministered, and he taught, and he loved, and he died, and he ascended. And then he gave that job to us. And we are now called the body of Christ. And I don't know if we're often enough really are aware of that statement, if we often sit with that truth enough to realize I am the hands of Jesus. It is my job to reach out to people now. I'm the feet of Jesus. It's my job to walk towards the poor and the broken and the hurting. I am the ears of Jesus. It's my job to listen to their needs. I am the mouth of Jesus. It's my job to speak the truth of God's word. I am the body of Christ. Look at someone and say, I'm the body of Christ. Jesus now loves people through us. Through us. We are the representation of love right now on this earth. In fact, when Jesus is teaching about this new covenant we now have with him in Matthew 22 from verse 36, this is what he says. They said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And before they could get a word in edgewise, Jesus goes on and he says, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus now loves people through us. And maybe you're listening to that and you're like, well, it just said neighbor. It says nothing about the prostitutes and the homosexuals and the drunkards. Well, actually, you know, it's going to get there. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, 45, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus says, love your enemies. Who do you consider your enemy? Love them. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. This is our divine mandate. Like, this is what we're called to now. We have the ministry of love. You have been given the ministry of love. You've been given the mandate, the calling to love. Yes, even your boss. 
Yes, even that person in the office, you can't stand. Even that person in your family, you've cut off. Even that person that abused you. Even those that hurt you. Those that stole from you, betrayed you, denied you. Love them. Jesus is going to love them through you. Love. Turns out, guys, you, you could be a good doctor and not love your patients. You could be a good lawyer and not love your clients. You could be a good geologist and not love science. But you can't be a good Christian and not love people. The only way to excel in our faith is to love people well. Romans 5 verse 5 says, for we know how dearly God loves us. I'm a, and like we can camp on that first part, right? Like we, we love that first part. God loves me dearly. Like let me, I don't need to read the rest. But you do, you do. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit. And guys, what is part of the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Not just to fill us with power, but to fill our hearts with his love. Because your love isn't great. And you, and you know that. You, you can get toxic in a second and you can get triggered by nothing and you're unreliable, you forgetful. Like your love. But part of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life is to fill your heart with the love of God. This is one of the ways we know the Holy Spirit's active in your life. It is the first mentioned fruit of the Spirit. Love. In other words, as a Holy Spirit, as you journey with Him, as you spend time with Him, as He changes you and transforms you, there is no version of the Holy Spirit filling you and transforming you without you becoming more loving. It is the first fruit. Love. For we know that God the Father dearly loves us, for He sent His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, fill them with His love. And the great thing is, you don't have to find it within yourself to try to love people. Maybe you don't have it, but God has it. He has enough love for humanity and a love, love for your family and an, uh, enough love for all those people who have hurt you that He will fill your heart with His love. So that becomes your source. That becomes a, the place where you draw from in order to love all those difficult people around you. Not from your love, not from your heart, but from the heart that the Holy Spirit has filled with His love. Jesus loves people through us. And He wants to love people through you. You know, in the early part of the Christian history, when the church was scattered right throughout the Roman Empire, the very last pagan Roman Empire by the name of Julian the Apostate, he was observing what was happening in his empire, and he wrote these notes. He said, while the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans, which was his name for the Christians, the hated Christians devote themselves to works of charity. They not only feed their own, but ours as well welcoming them with their agape love, they attract them to their Savior. Isn't that beautiful that in a pagan society, in an ungodly empire, the, the emperor himself was so impressed by the love of these people who called themselves 
Christians. These people, these early Christians totally lived out what Jesus said when he said, they will know you're my disciples by your love. Not, not by like how much you know and not how, how many verses you post. Like not, not by how many people you correct. It's just like they'll know you, my disciples, by just your love. Church, Jesus wants to love people and he wants to use us to do it. He wants to love people, any Madhuslani and wherever you're watching from or listening from, he wants to love people in your community and in your office and in your neighborhood and he wants to use you to do it. He wants you to be the vessel of love. Jesus loves all people. He loves each one uniquely and individually. He uses you to do it. And the fourth and final point is this. Jesus loves people responsibly. Look at someone and say, love responsibly. I want to go back to that text that I read earlier in Mark chapter 10, because what I find interesting is just after scripture tells us that Jesus had a God paid genuine love for this rich young ruler, we see the love of God compelled Jesus to do something. And it wasn't to overlook the issue. The love of Jesus did not compel him to ignore the sin. The love of Jesus did not compel Jesus to pretend that Nothing was going on inside the rich young ruler. In fact, the love of Jesus compelled Jesus to confront the sin, to address the issue, to call it out. In Mark 10, 21, let's go back there. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine agape love for him. And then he says this. He says to that rich young ruler, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Because Jesus loved him, he addressed the issue in his life. This is often what love will do. When there is something standing between you and a loving God, often the most loving thing we can do is to address that thing that's in the way. The most loving thing we can do is to address the thing that's between you and God, not to leave it there but to address it. Often love, when you love responsibly and maturely, it's going to compel you to confront. It might compel you to rebuke. It might compel you to bring out an issue. That's why Jesus Christ would sometimes just show encouragement and love and acceptance and another time call things out and say, that's not acceptable because love, when we love responsibly, it can compel us to do both things. Loving responsibly does not mean just everything's okay and you can live how you want and nothing matters and holiness doesn't matter and, and we just tolerate anything. That isn't actually loving responsibly. And that is certainly not how Jesus loved, definitely not. You know, when uh, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, he's in prison and he's thinking about the church in Philippi and he, he just writes this beautiful paragraph in Philippians 1 verse 8 and 10. He says this, God knows how much I love you, Paul says, and, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. And then Paul starts to write a prayer. And he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more 
And that you will keep on growing in knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. And understanding. Everyone say understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live, because living matters and how you live matters. You may live pure and you may live blameless until the day of Christ's return. Paul is saying, hey, as your heart gets filled with God's love, the, the idea is that you would start to overflow. That the love God has placed in your heart would be so much that you would be so full of God's love that you would start to overflow to the people around you. But do you know that if an overflow is too much and uncontrollable, it can cause damage. You just think about the rains that we've had in the country over the last few years, even just last week in, in Durban, right? Like, when, it's, when the overflow is too much and it's not controlled, it brings destruction. And we can do that to people in our lives. We can love them so we can just try to pour love on them without any kind of responsibility or maturity. And we actually can end up bringing destruction in their lives. Paul is saying this, may you overflow with love but may it be guarded by knowledge and understanding. You can almost think of this as a river. And on either side of the river are these two river banks. And the one side of the river, it's knowledge. And the other side of the river is understanding. I've got an image of a river I'm going to put up now to maybe help you visualize this better. This river of love that is overflowing from the heart that God has filled with his love, as it overflows, this river of love has to be guarded and it has to be directed. The overflow must be directed by both on one side, a riverbank of knowledge, and on the other side, a riverbank of discernment and understanding. What is the one side? What does knowledge mean? Well, in the Greek, it's this word, epignosis, and it means a full and complete knowledge. In other words, as I love, I need to know fully and completely God's will. I need to know God's heart. I need to know his character so that I direct my love in the right way. I direct it to his heart and I direct it to his will. Right, because otherwise, if I don't have that knowledge of how God wants me to live, my love, my overflow can become destructive. I could just accept and tolerate all things. Never rebuke, never address, never correct, never confront. You, you think of a father or a parent who has a child that's demanding and wants things. If I just want to love as an overflow without any knowledge, I could end up saying, yeah, well, I'm just going to give them what they want. And I'm going to love them. I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm never going to discipline them. I'm never going to bring correction. I'm going to just spoil. And we're loving that way without knowledge. What you don't know is that you're ruining your kid. You're harming them with your abundance, your overflow of love without knowledge. It's bringing harm to them. You're just going to end up raising someone without any character who is spoiled and gets really pummeled by life because you haven't trained them for life. So we don't love without knowledge. You, you think of a man or a woman, someone who's married, who's maybe falling out of love with their spouse, and they're starting to feel a kind of love for someone they're working with. Right? Well, well love, my abundance of love without knowledge, I might be like, well, I'm just going to go with it, right? What's the issue? No. Your love, this overflow of love, must have on one side a riverbank of knowledge, understanding what God's will is. And on the other side must be understanding and discernment. 
In other words, I know what God wants. I know what his will is. I have an understanding. I have a discernment of what is right and wrong. And that's why in this moment, I might just want to love. I want my love to cover a multitude of sins. And I want to encourage. But in another moment, no, this time I need to address. This is called doing life with the Spirit. A spiritful life. Where we understand as we love people from the overflow that God has poured into our hearts, into our lives. As we love them, we have on one side of this river knowledge and the other side understanding and discernment. But in all things we love. We love. We love because Jesus loves all people. He loves everyone, church. And he loves them uniquely. He loves you uniquely and individually. And he wants to love this world through you. He wants to love the people that you interact with through you. You are now the vessel of that love. But he wants you to do it responsibly with knowledge and understanding. So who do you need to love? In fact, think about that for a moment. Can you close your eyes? Who do you need to love? I want you to think about just for a moment, like the people in your life you're finding really hard to love. to love them with your love. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's offense. Yes, there's anger. You probably have a right to feel all those things. They probably really did those things to you. So don't love them with your love. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with God's love. To fill it to overflow to help you love them. You might even want to pray a prayer right now. You might want to just pray, Holy Spirit, help me love them. Holy Spirit, help me show your love. Because you know the love of God is going to be practical. It's not just a feeling. It's not about sitting in your home and just feeling something different. No, 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 it's practical. It takes action. It means you do something or act different or reach out. Love requires action. Who do you need to love? Church, this is our mandate. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not love people. And you are called to love those who are difficult to love, who are impossible to love. You're called to hurt those you consider your enemy. God, I pray you would help us love better. Holy Spirit, would you come fill every one of our hearts with your love? God, you know we can't. (laughs) God, in our offense and in our hurt and our pain, we just can't do it, Lord. We need you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we have you and that you're able to root out bitterness. You're able to root out unforgiveness. You're able to root out hate. You're able to root out indifference. Holy Spirit, come and do a new work. I pray that this church, may we be a loving church. May we be noticed by the people in authority in our towns, in our cities, in our workplaces. May they point us out and say, who are those people that love so well? Who are those people who love when they shouldn't be loving? 
God, I pray that our love would reflect your heart, that it would not be based on good performance and good behavior, but that we would love like you, Jesus, unconditionally, a decision to love. So we give you our hearts afresh. Come fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh with your love.